This episode of the Speech Science Podcast was brought to you by Presence Learning. If you're considering a career in teletherapy, you need a therapy platform built specifically to deliver therapy and assessments remotely. Exactly. Therapy Essentials, which includes the Presence Learning Therapy Platform, is so much more than your average video conferencing tool. It was designed by clinicians for clinicians specifically to deliver therapy and assessments online. The Presence Learning Platform features a content library full of games and activities sortable by age and interest to personalize your therapy and keep your clients engaged. And don't forget speech language assessments from top publishers. For more information and to start your free trial, go to PresenceLearning.com and then click on Our Platform. The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect the the policy policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please Please contact contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we belong. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 161. I'm Matt Hott, a speech and language pathologist living in the Buckeye State on opening night, uh, working with uh, children, middle schoolers, and adults in dementia and stroke rehab, joined in the great state of Texas, Michelle Wintering, our early intervention specialist. Hi, Matt. Hello, Michelle. And living it up in the... I don't know what Wisconsin is known for, but I know it is known for Marie Severson, who is our adult expert. Hello, Marie. Hi, and I don't know what sports are happening tonight. She did make the news recently. Have you talked about that? (laughs) We did talk about that. I missed it. I'm a little bummed because I loved that clip, Marie. That's okay. I can send it again. Yeah, you should post that on our Instagram. Oh, sure. See, you're famous now, Marie. It's scary. We'll spread the fame. Oh. Not too far. I'm, I am excited about this show, but we always want to hear from you. So make sure you go to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. Email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. On today's episode, I will give you 50 guesses to figure out which state before this week didn't allow special education services for speech kids over the age of 10. We'll talk about that. Also an SLP who had to treat her own self. Uh, a great interview with uh, Embark EMR and the lovely couple uh, Shelby and the man smart enough to marry an SLP, Corey, uh, to create that as well as the return of the SS Pod news. But let's start with our roundtables and find out how we have been. Guys, I had a wonderful week because I got to watch my son use a power tool for the first time. And we built fish habitats at a Boy Scout camp. 
Uh, if you don't know what a fish habitat is, it is a PVC pipe with uh, attached to a cinder block. And then we put some stuff in it. So it looks like a fake tree that fish can live underneath of. That's pretty neat. That's awesome. Yeah. And no one lost a finger. And it's opening night here in Cincinnati. The Reds right now are playing the Braves. And I've got that up on the TV over here. So I do apologize ahead of time. How has y'all's week been? And Who pretty, would like to go pretty, first? Pretty, pretty exciting here. You know, we've been doing things like organizing our garage and attic. <laughs> um, mainly because I... My, I may have mentioned this on air before, but it has taken me getting used to not having a basement, being from the Midwest. So oh, having yeah, to right. use an attic and our garage for storage is very confusing to me because I'm like, why don't we just have a basement? But they don't put basements here because of the water table level. It would be a poor decision. So there you go. That's been my week. <laughs> Are you guys staying safe down there with all the weather? I know crazy weather has been coming our way from your way. Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a tornado warning and we're hanging out with a movie night in our bathroom with the kids. But um, all was well in our region, a couple, an hour or so away um, is where the tornado touched down. But I know that's been happening, like you said, across the country with these crazy storms. Ugh, I'm sorry. We've, we've had a lot of storms here, too, but that's not out of the ordinary for us. It's been pretty pretty ordinary spring in Wisconsin, but just a little bit less nicer weather than we usually get. We had a little snow today. It was cold. We haven't really had anything warm. I think our next warm day is going to be Monday. So definitely looking forward to that. But Michelle, funny enough, I don't have an attic that I can use, but I do have a basement and I have a bathroom that we have been giving a little bit of a facelift. So Ooh, look at this home home stuff we're doing here. We're real adults. Yes. Look at that. Are you a big DIYer? Uh kind of, sort of. Only I if I want to be. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> so we tend to we tend to leave all of our projects off until we have someone coming to visit. So we have friends coming in that are going to stay with us. So then we decided we need to remodel our bathroom in seven days so that's and what it's we've been time limited on. right yeah yes yep so we've been really working against the clock and it's been great it looks really good i hope you share some before and after photos with us i will do you have a color you're going with or can you not share that right now well that's hilarious um uh -oh. unfortunately because we're not you doing a big remodel reveal. yeah exactly Okay. So All right. what we have is we have tiles on the wall and they're like a crimson red and cream. So that very much limits our color palette. Mm. So basically we turned everything cream neutral so that it at least matches because before it didn't even match. So we're just trying to make it work for now. Marie, I want to pick on your state for a moment. <laughs> so here at, you know, sometimes I'll Google somebody's state to just kind of come up with a fun, goofy comment to start the show off with. And I Googled Wisconsin and the first four things that have popped up was the tornado drill that's happening today. Didn't happen because not everywhere has sirens. A man stole cigarettes and waited for the cops uh, and multiple stories about a furry protocol in Wisconsin schools. What is going on in your state? Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like I you honestly, can do the same thing for Ohio and Texas, though. Yeah, I don't know. I did. I did read. I didn't read it, but I saw it 
the article about the furry thing and I just said, I don't know, I don't have the mental capacity for whatever that is, but it sounds important. Um, in Ohio, the number one story right now is pot-bellied pig up for adoption. So, oh my gosh. Oh, precious. I mean, that sounds better than the furry protocols. How about Texas? Texas. Texas. Searching. Uh, is the drought the worst we've ever seen? And they are sending migrants to Washington, D.C. Okay. All right. Thank you, Texas, Ohio, and Wisconsin. We are glad Florida and Philadelphia or Pennsylvania could not join us. Mike is at the PS, whatever. The the Pennsylvania State. Yeah, I was going to say Pennsylvania Speech Language Association. Association. There's always S's and H's in there, and whether they pronounce them or not, depending on the state. Right. Right. Well, I was trying to guess, and I thought, Pisha? But Pisha? that just doesn't I think that's sound right. Right. I think that's right. quite right. No offense at all to to Pisha, but to I think <laughs> they're all they all are just a challenge. I think it's hard to. And our Flasha rep, see Flasha makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is off this week. What is Texas? Is Texas Tishla? I think Tishla. Ooh. And then Wisconsin is Wishla or Wisha. Wisha. Okay. And I don't know what mine is. Ooh. Let me see. OSHA, but that's already a thing. Right. That's OSHA. <laughs> you know, I did sit on the some speech in language. Is it language or just hearing? I'm a terrible rep for that organization. Oh, it is language. So OSLA. OSLA. Okay. I second guess myself, anyone from OSLA listening. I was really concerned that I was always saying it wrong. I'm just going to put that out there. But before we dive into our stories, I sound like an old man watching his soap operas. We want to hear from <laughs> you. And part of that is the SS Pod shout out. And to do that, head over to our website or email us in speechsciencepodcast.gmail.com and put in the subject line hashtag SS Pod shout out. We don't have an official shout out this week. So we would love to hear from you at home. So make sure you send in those shout outs. On the flip side, though, is the due process. And we have a double due process that we're combining. One was a home health care SLP saying that their job or that their agency is trying to tell them when they should see patients and to be more strict when telling patients uh, their therapy time. And Marie, you had the other one? Yes, another one was a home health agency, but a Medicare Part B home health agency asking a speech pathologist to see more visits per week because they get reimbursed less money than PT and OT. So they have to do more work. I feel like both of those are legal, but barely. Mm. Oh, it's just the, <laughs> I hate that this happens, but I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> I just feel like speech therapy is separated always for the wrong reasons mm -hmm. from PT and OT. Like the whole comma thing. Yeah. OT, PT, and speech. Right. Like we're not included for all the important things. We don't get the big equipment, but then, well, we're definitely going to get less. We're going to have to do more work because of the reimbursement. And now, Michelle, you did home health care, right? Mm-hmm. And Marie, I know you currently do it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I currently do it. And there is nothing more aggravating than trying to call 
and get a scheduled therapy time. And they say, you know, 1230 is when young and the restless come on. And I watch the young and the restless every day. And at two o'clock I take my nap. And at four o'clock, Jimmy's coming over and we're going to go to the grocery store. And then I got my Bible group at seven 30. Like I get it. It is very difficult scheduling, but I think sometimes as therapists, we forget and especially our agencies forget while, yeah, we're providing a service. We're going into somebody's house and we're invading their rehab time. It's not like, you know, they were just like sitting on the couch and decided to call the home health care agency. Most of the time, these folks have had major life changing strokes or falls or medical situations. Now, question on that, Matt, because I do mm-hmm. remember when I was doing home health, one of the things when there would be missed appointments because we scheduled it and the person was at the grocery or was at some event that they there are rules or guidelines, right, of how homebound they're supposed to be to be receiving that in-home service. And it's been several years since I was in home health, and it was PRN, so it's been a while. But um, I, I struggle with some of it because it's it's this balance between, yes, we're going into people's homes, and this is not like them being in ICU or on a rehab floor where their, their day-to-day mm-hmm. is therapy and doctors and people coming in and they're not going anywhere. And Mm -hmm. so we can just impose our schedule on them. In this case, like you said, we are going into people's homes, so we have to be a little flexible, but so what, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. No, I want to let you finish Michelle. Um, No, I, all I was thinking was just, I don't, I don't remember what the guidelines were for, homebound state like what that definition was well it's a little bit gray because in in my personal experience it can be a little bit gray I think that homebound can be a lot of different things and there are a lot of different boxes that I can check that would qualify someone as homebound and PT and OT and speech usually work together depending on that specific person's needs. Like some people physically can't leave. Some people are homebound because they have something like a Foley catheter. That's what I just learned recently. So there's a lot of different reasons. Oh, good to know. Yeah. yeah. So there are some there. nursing reasons that would keep someone homebound, which would mean like I could keep seeing them, um, which is great. Usually like I have someone I've been seeing for a really long time because they have nursing needs. They also have speech needs, but now they don't have to get, they don't have to go and travel to a clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, that the homeboundness is such a, it's broad on purpose. And the way I was explained to it is that if they can get their homebound doesn't to leave the house when you're homebound, you should only be leaving the house to get your physical, emotional, and spiritual needs met. So physical being food, groceries, basic survival Clothing, I guess, is a way to put it. Like you're not going shopping for nine new pairs of jeans and new shoes, but if you have to go and get clothing. You're not shopping for the sake of shopping. You're shopping for a purpose. And then like the emotional part is the, the way I was explained to that is if a family member can come pick you up or if you have to drive to go see a family member to kind of help keep your emotional sanity. And then the spiritual part was 
going to church. But the way I was explaining to that is like if they go to church or a Bible group study, that's not they're still homebound. Mm -hmm. But if they're going every day, multiple days to go to church events like bingo and the fish fry and then the Thursday night widows meeting and then they're running the bake sale Saturday morning, then, yeah, that's not that's you're not homebound at that point. And I've had that entire scenario happen where I had to ask, I was like, well, how many times a week can they go to the church before I don't think they're homebound anymore? And they're like, usually more than two. And I was like, well, they're going every day, multiple times. <laughs> That's interesting. That is really that interesting. That becomes their, their social too. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, like for some, I'm assuming for someone in that situation, that church community is their social, emotional, spiritual. Now, 35 visits in a week, though, I I think that's doable, depending on the on the location. I'm Maria. I see your face. Sorry. So let me let me let me let me. Spell, Matt, you got to spell that out for people who haven't worked okay. with like what. So. Home visits with home healthcare, right. you know. <laughs> so home healthcare, you have to see a patient minimum, at least here in Ohio, thirty-five minutes, right? So I could totally see that because I've done it before in the summertime, where I've done eight to ten visits in a day, eight to twelve visits in a day. They must be in the same like, and that's what I mean. Together. They're in the okay. same. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, are you traveling? Because that's that's a no, lot. like a five or a ten minute car ride in between patients. And wow, when I was doing short. that, say what? I said that's that's a short commute mm-hmm. between patients. And at the time, we had a system that was working on the phone, so I could sit at the red light, sit left next into the thing, and then do a talk to text into my narrative so I could actually do my narrative on the way to my patient. And they wanted us to chart everything while we were with the patient. Mm. So while we were taking the vitals, I'm writing them right into the system while I'm doing the therapy with them. I can take a note very similar to like what OTPT does of, Oh, we've targeted this skill set, And then I could hit save and get to the car and say, so-and-so did this, we needed this kind of stuff, blah, 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 blah. That's fascinating. I would, so I, I would guess that. that I think there's probably a, a substantial range of mm-hmm. responsive roles and responsibilities that home health companies um, mm-hmm. impart onto their therapists. Like for example, I don't do vitals. So oh. but I definitely my, had to do vitals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I would have said a full, oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, my brain's I would going. only have my to, brain's going. <laughs> I would only have to do vitals if I was concerned about someone's medical status. So I've never, I think I've had to do vitals. I've had to do blood pressure a few times. I've never had to do. Um, I can't think of oh, the two? word. I've never had to do pulse um, the pulse ox. I've done the the listening to the heart, the auscultation. I've never had hmm. to do. That and I find that extremely difficult. I've practiced a lot, and that's hard to do. Um, but yeah, because you know, Matt, that makes me think like, if you're doing a 35 minute visit and you're doing vitals, how much therapy time are you getting with a patient? 30 minutes. 30, oh, I'll talk to you. Wow, you're you're speedy. I mean, my I'll be honest. Like, I come in, 
And like the first thing I'm like, hey, how are you doing? While we chit chat, let me get your vitals. And I scan their forehead. I throw the thing on their finger. I'm getting my BP cuff out. And then I take that off and throw the BP cuff on. And that only takes two or three minutes. Is there a requirement or do you have like a point system or a number of visits that's like a target per week? Currently, no, I'm just PRN and I actually work for a really awesome company. Shout out Otterbein. Um, at least Otterbein in Cincinnati. I can't say anything about anywhere else, but um, no, they pay me per visit. There is no minimum, but I'm also PRN and it's myself and another SLP named Jen. And we kind of just split our caseload as best we can, but I've worked at previous places that have had point systems Mm -hmm. now that 35 minute minimum is just now that's just a minimum that is what the state of ohio or whatever ohio medicaid medicare says that we have to be in there for for a regular visit an hour for an evaluation and two hours for a resort of care or a start of care a two hours Mm -hmm. I mean, they're pretty involved, though, because it's a lot of like, if you had to get dressed, how well can you put on your shoes? How well can you put on your pants? How well can you put on your shirt? How well can you brush your hair? How well can you brush your teeth? How well, if you had to walk 150 feet, how much help do you need? So there is a lot that goes Mm -hmm. into that. And it is, you know, I do about an hour face to face. And then the other hour is just paperwork. Yeah. I mean, the 35, I just keep thinking back to the 35 a week. It would have to be a situation like what you're talking about, Matt, with a, mm-hmm. you're geographically very close to pick mm-hmm. up these patients. Um, because I'm thinking of when I was doing PRN home health, five or six would have maxed out my day right. because I'm driving 30 minutes between patients and I would map it out to be. Mm-hmm as close as possible, you know, hit my furthest one and then work my way back or vice versa. But, um, but there's no way I could have been hitting eight to 10 patients in a, in a work day. I think right now I've got six that live in the same building. Wow. So like now, mind you, the building has different sections, different independent living, different, skilled nursing facility, different assisted living parts. But the most I walk, it's a 10 minute walk from one part to one patient to the next patient. Gotcha. So you're doing home health, but it's in like a supported living or independent living type setting. Yes. Cause the campus has a mixture of everything. Okay. I feel like so, that's unique. Not, mm-hmm. not no, many sure. home health people are going to sure. be able to do that. Yeah. And my job is to get them so that they can walk down you know, eventually get down to the outpatient clinic on the first floor. Yeah. If that makes so, sense. Now, what about the idea that an SLP would have expectations that are higher given the reimbursement rates? Does that seem right? I don't, that I don't know. I don't know my reimbursement rate because I know what I get paid. I don't know what we make as a company. But that your, your home health company would be Med A. Homebound. Home oh health. yes, yes. So, what I think the what I think the topic was was Med B home health, which is basically like mobile outpatient, which means it's subject to Medicare, which has substantially lower reimbursement. And the idea that mm-hmm. based on that alone, the speech therapist, or let's say it was an OT for, I mean, if any therapist would have to do 
more visits per week. That it just doesn't seem fair. I know that life isn't fair, but that just doesn't seem ethically right. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. work for a company that did that. Not at all. I wouldn't want to. I would be working my way out of that company. But, you know, like we've talked about, a lot of people can't walk out of a job straight away. And I think and I that think- this... Oh. No, no, go for it. Sorry. I think that the one of the issues is that speech therapy can be reimbursed at a lower rate than PT and OT. I feel... I don't know for sure, but I know that they can bill units and they can bill up to a certain amount of units a day. I think it might be four. And their reimbursement is more, it's a little bit higher, not by much, but it's higher. So when we keep having these Medicare cuts or these these cuts that affects everyone across the board, but speech therapy is already reimbursed lower, it really just devalues what we're doing and how that trickles down is companies then have to find cost-saving measures and it just results in poor employee environment, at least in this specific instance. Mm-hmm. I look at point systems the same way I look at productivity rates in a skilled nursing facility as hot garbage. Mm-hmm. Now, I get that if you're working in a home care agency, you don't, you know, from a business side, you don't want to be giving full benefits to somebody that's only doing eight visits a week or 10 visits a week. Mm-hmm. But... I feel that that point system leads people that are not therapists to put unfair demands on the home care person. Because, yeah, I can do 35 visits in a week because most, you know, most of my visits are in the same 10 minute walkabout. But I've also had therapies where I was doing 18 visits a week. And I was working just as much as when I was doing the 35 visits. Mm -hmm. And it's not because there was one patient that is 45 minutes away, one direction, and there is nobody else that I can see on the way there. And I think that's also where these managers screw up, telling us that we need to just tell our patients when we're going to be there. Or they try to schedule for us because they see what our driving pattern is. It doesn't work that way because... If I want to see Michelle and Michelle doesn't get up till 10 and Marie, you're like, I can get up at eight. Okay. I'm going to see you Marie at eight, but then I'm not waiting around an hour for Michelle. I'm going to schedule Michelle in the afternoon and try to see somebody else later. It's just, it's I, don't. I agree, Matt. Yeah. I don't, I think it always ends up being a little bit messy when non-therapy is scheduling for therapy. That's not my experience. We have full autonomy over our schedules, but it, it, that's its own, you know, messiness, sort of like trying to make sure you don't schedule over someone else. But that's one of the draws of home health is to be able to have autonomy over your schedule and to work with mm-hmm. the patient. And I, I just don't generally run into a lot of problem scheduling. And yeah, it's, me neither. it's, yeah, I don't know if it's, it might just, I think it takes time to get used to and figure it out. But yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about those hard and fast rules or like imposing more structure like that. I, I think the whole point of it is that it sort of flows naturally. The days flow. You, everyone's, everyone figured is, figures it out and kind of falls in line for the day to see that patient. That's at least how I've experienced it in my home health company. I, I've been doing home health for seven years, eight years. I've been doing schools for this is like my 11th year doing schools. And I've done home health the other eight years or something like that. 
And the most difficult time I have scheduling a patient is usually when I have the most open time. <laughs> if I tell a patient, hey, I'm available anytime on Thursday afternoon or all day Saturday, what works best for you? That's when they're like, well, I will take 245. And you're like, that doesn't schedule well for anybody. But if I have to tell them like, hey, I'm available on Thursday at four or Friday at six, I never have a trouble. They're always just mm -hmm. like, well, Friday it's at like six the, works great. What is it called? The paradox of choice? That mm -hmm. whole yeah. concept of you walk into a pharmacy and there's 500 different kinds of toothpaste instead of us. It, it makes choices harder and, and it tends to lead people to be less happy with their choices, but um, because they feel like there's other options. So it's this paradox yes. of choice, but it seems like just like you said, that it's another example of it. If people, if you give them, I'm available two o'clock on Thursday or 11 AM on Tuesday, they're like, Oh, I have to pick one of the two mm -hmm. versus I'm available all these times, these four days <laughs> you pick. And they're like, oh, maybe this analysis. or this or this. Exactly. No, that doesn't, that tends to not work. Let us know what you think. Are you a home care or a home care agent, a home health care SLP? Uh, let us know. SpeechSciencePodcast.com, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com. All right. So a little behind the screen, a little bit of uh, behind the scenes, I guess, information. I sent this news article thinking that it was going to be the the like most intense, like shocking news article. And Michelle Marie skipped over it because <laughs> they saw that it was coming from me. But no, uh, not Rhode true. Island, the House is passing a bill to end the ban of speech therapy on children over the age of nine years old. Now, of course, we're talking in school, a private practice SLP in Rhode Island, the best I know can see anyone over the age of nine, but in the schools, speech therapy wasn't listed as part of special education. And so they, they just dismissed them. That's I'm blown away by this. I'm sorry that I missed it in our, we have a whole group, you know, text communication of our articles to share. And I somehow missed this one, but um, being a pediatric person, it just kind of, really threw me off, Matt, that they would have this arbitrary age cutoff of 10 years old, basically. Uh, I'm so sorry, Michelle, you're double digits. Sorry. No more speech therapy for you. Right. So, Michelle, that's not normal. I just don't... It. it that has not been my experience in the states I have worked in. Okay. How, 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 how old would a child be and still get services in other states? I don't uh, think I've worked there's with a 21 a year old. Yeah, because um and I've worked with kids up until they've aged out at 21 as well. So how did they get away with it for this long? So <laughs> I had to double check that this website, it is the newportbuzz.com was not like a satire or comic website and they say that everything that is published on this website is in good faith and general information. So they basically, they it seems like they were no just going by about reliability. So, you know, it's this, I don't know, the old belief that particularly I'm thinking articulation of people thinking, oh, I don't treat articulation. I'm, I'm not saying we believe this, but um, old school belief of we don't treat that over or insurances don't approve treatment for it over a certain age. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Now, if you're wondering, where is Asha on this? Judy Rich, president president of Asha, says this restriction is unique to Rhode Island. <laughs> Uh, the bill is supported by ASHA as well as the American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, both groups submitted written testimony to the House Education Committee in favor of, you know, letting high school kids receive S uh, SLP services. I wouldn't have a job in Rhode Island, straight up. I don't like working with the younger kids. I, I well, love so working with of, older kids. Right. So many of my patients in the school that I worked at were middle school and older. All the way up because we had a transition program for kids after senior year of high school as well, who were still in special education up to age 21. So it, I I didn't know that this was possible to say, hey, if you live in Rhode Island, you can't have speech therapy in a school past age nine. I, well, I, it looks I'm like it's it on passed. its way... I'm sorry. No, keep going. I mean, basically, I it just says it was put in place by the Board of Regents many years ago, and it's what? a horrible disparity for children who need those services. This is a quote. The plans and therapies these students receive should be based on the assessments and evaluations of licensed speech pathologists, not an arbitrary age rule. Uh, yeah. So, okay, in Rhode <laughs> Island, so I'm looking at the House bill. Uh, in Rhode Island, if they are not receiving speech, they can receive services until the age of 21. So it's just like every other state. They just don't get therapy for the last 12 years of their so education So career. basically a speech-only kid is no longer... There's no speech-only after right. third grade? Yeah, pretty much third to fourth grade. I mean, that's terrible. Better figure it out by then. That's some pressure as an right. SLP. <laughs> it makes me wonder what other strange regulations are out there that we don't know. Like about. these weird laws that still exist on the books places. Um, you know, the goofy ones that you hear about, but this one's serious. Oh, hey, good news. It passed the House 65 yay votes, zero no votes, and 10 people did not, uh, chose not to vote. Like, they were they were speechless. They couldn't. Oh even. wow! <laughs> Boo! <laughs> but, uh, but let's no, hope it passes just, the Senate. <laughs> it, yeah, it passed April fifth. So just a couple days ago, there we go. That is super interesting, huh? We'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, now it's got to pass the Senate and then get signed into law. So we'll see what happens. Hit us up, speechsciencepodcast.com. The other article, and what were we talking about? Oh, the SLP that served her own caseload. Speaking of SLPs, like not serving students or patients, what is up with this article, Marie? So this article was in the ASHA Leader Live. I think it's on their website. It's about a speech therapist who is a pediatric SLP who had an ischemic right cerebellar stroke that was initially misdiagnosed as a migraine, and she had speech therapy testing for her cognition, and it sounds like it was a screener, which she passed because she was familiar with it, and she said she had a lot of subtle, higher-level cognitive communication impairments like word-finding issues, impairments in attention, 
and trouble processing language, but she didn't have any services offered by speech therapy because she tested out of it. So that was just an interesting and an, an unfortunate sort of oversight, I think. But and part of the reason she tested out of it was because she was familiar with the assessment as well, an SLP. Yeah, tip right. So there's a lot to unpack here. And first, I need to say that my biggest fear from working with adults is that I have memorized the slums, the Montreal, the mini mental, and part of the RIPA and the Clicket, the cognitive linguistic mm -hmm. quick test. My ultimate fear is that there is going to be a devastating head injury or a uh, non-traumatic TBI and, or, you know, not whatever, a non-traumatic brain injury. And I'm going to pass these tests and they're going to think that I don't need help. So that's the one part to unpack. And this is where your spouse needs to know this. Yes. And your kids need to know this as they're older. That, yeah. hey, no, you can't give my dad that. <laughs> Try again. Give right. him a different test. And then what's scarier is, is that she went to get screened with and or she went to get help knowing that she was having trouble with anomia for basic words, people's names, places, reduced attention span, word substitutions, difficulty recalling and pronouncing multi-syllabic words. And her care team, and I know we're not really supposed to comment on other SLPs therapy, but like that scares me too, because it goes back to understaffed, overworked SLPs who see somebody that might have some deficits, but they tested okay. Insurance won't let me pay for this. This stuff blows my mind that it can happen. Yeah. And I feel terrible for, for Grace McConnell, Dr. McConnell, that she had to live through this. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I'm glad she lived through this, but like the experience is not good. Yeah, exactly. Now, a dynamic assessment would be a really great way to catch some of these. I mean, a really thorough motivational interviewing session or just something more functional. I don't know if it was just a screener or if it was actual a formal assessment. It sounds like in acute care, it was just a screener, which makes complete sense. There's not mm -hmm. often time to do a formal assessment, but... I just wonder what kind of conversation was had, or maybe if there was some implicit bias, like, hey, this is a speech therapist. If they if they mm -hmm. seem like they're doing good, I bet they're doing good. You know, I certainly wouldn't want to, you know, bo bother them with a bunch of assessment if they don't need it. Um, but it's it's just too bad. And I part of me wonders if the location of the stroke also biased the team in a way that would say, well, they they probably shouldn't have any impairments. And I say that from personal experience because I was initially taught that the cerebellum doesn't have speech and language involvement. And we often didn't, we wouldn't pick people up that had a cerebellar stroke. Mm. And I, I hadn't heard that before, but I could see why, you know, previous understanding of, of the brain, of areas of the brain that that could have been assumed, right? or incorrectly assumed. Um, and this did make me think of 
different settings I've worked in where co-treatment is encouraged or not, because this is one of those cases, especially because a cerebellar stroke can affect motor so much mm-hmm. that this would be one of those, oh my gosh, I would love to be back in a clinic I used to work in where we got to co-treat with PT and OT because this is the kind of patient who would really benefit from that. Mm. I had a really cool extern teacher, Ken Hart, who told me that the only good thing about knowing where the stroke was, was it told you where to start. It didn't Mm -hmm. tell you how to do therapy. It just told you what to start looking for. And then after that, it doesn't matter where the stroke was because now you're treating what the patient is showing you. So if the stroke is in Broca's, you're looking for certain things, but if it doesn't match up to what the patient has, you're not going to continue that Broca's treatment Mm. for a patient Mm -hmm. that is showing other symptoms. So like, I feel like sometimes in our field we get because we're too stressed because we're trying to rush through screeners. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that in home care, I use screeners the first time I see a patient and then I'll do a big dynamic assessment at the 30 day reeval. Because sometimes the first time you're walking into somebody's house and you give them a 45 minute long test, they're going to fatigue out. They might get nervous they might start questioning what's going on. You don't get through that test. At least a screener, you're trying to catch the majority of deficits. So that scares me that maybe I missed somebody. I probably did miss somebody. Well, and I'm thinking back to being in acute care as a grad student doing an externship. And I had a great supervisor, similar to what you said, Matt, who here I am doing an eval and she was with me um, on a, you know, I forget his profession, but this was higher level skills, right? Where he would have been showing any deficits after a stroke. He didn't want me there. He didn't think anything was off. And I, being a new grad student in this setting, got flustered and kind of, you know, went through the questions real quick. And until we got out in the hallway and looked it over and my supervisor said, hey, like you missed where he he's he's missing these higher level skills. We have to pick him up. We need to pick him up for treatment, even if he's not realizing what's going on right now. And here I'm thinking, oh, this guy's like, I don't need this. I'm a professor of whatever, you know, what his job was. I'm an engineer. I'm a mathematician. I can't remember the exact job, but it was some job that I was almost intimidated by as a young grad student. And so I just say that for any grad students listening, remember when you're learning to do these cognitive evals to to take not just what the patient says, but to Mm -hmm. kind of step back and think about what their profession is, what their day-to-day is going to look like so that it can be more functional, you know, lean on your supervisor to learn those things. And also don't be afraid to talk to family members and get a better perspective on if that's right for that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And knowing the neuroanatomy is important because it helps guide your treatment. Like Matt said, it it helps you know what questions to ask, what to be looking for. And if you don't know about how the cerebellum can affect executive functions and emotional functions, you might not be looking for asking for that. So I think that is is on the onus is on the speech therapist to be informed on that front. And then also be listening to the patient and what they have to say about their skills. How are they feeling about them? Are they noticing anything that's different? 
Do you guys have a go-to question when you're meeting a new patient? Um, and I'm not talking about in the school setting. I'm talking about acute uh, or acquired deficit. Do you have a go-to question to try to figure out how well your patient is the first time you meet them? Like my go-to one is usually, you know, on some variation and kind of trying to figure out their humor. How did you get stuck with me coming to see you? Mm-hmm. It gets them, if they laugh, then I go, okay, we got a little bit of sense of humor going here. And then it's the, can you tell me what happened? How you got your stroke? why did they find you frozen in the yard, whatever it was to get you to me seeing you. That's my go-to because then if they're like, I have no idea. I'm like, okay, we've got a lot of, you know, we got a lot of orientation to work on, but if they're able to give me their entire medical history, like what you were saying, Michelle, it helps me see, okay, is this a higher level thing? So do you guys have a, a go-to non testing question? I guess I should ask. I, yeah, I ask a lot of questions. I find, I try to sometimes <laughs> even ask questions in different ways to try to mm-hmm. see the same question. Cause again, I'm yep. always worried Just about not that. asking yeah. a question that I need yep. to, but I'll, I think one of my, one of my go-to ones is probably, um, asking people if they feel like themselves. Do you, after this happened, do you still feel like yourself or do you feel like things are different now? Just Ooh, to try to have them, that is good. have them reflect on, who they, how they identified as a person before and how they feel today. Because oftentimes people can pull functional examples. Like I used to be able to do this, or I used to be able to say this. And now I've noticed that I'm not doing that anymore. And that helps me pick functional goals too. Oh, that's so good. I'm stealing that. Go for it. I do a lot of questions as well. I'm thinking of Marie. Uh, I, I feel the same as you that I'm circling back to things to recheck uh, when I'm doing a, a cognitive assessment. But um, one thing I always try to touch on is family because I just feel mm-hmm. like it's so mm-hmm. functional of asking, like you said, do you feel like yourself? But, um, you know, what is your family? What's what's your family's take on this? If they're there, ask if I can speak to their family about it. Um, and then also just because sometimes when I was, it's such a buy-in to get people, especially elderly people, to talk mm-hmm. about, their family rather than answer Mm -hmm. these questions that I have on a generic assessment. I can, I can tailor those questions to, Oh, you're, you said you have five kids. Okay. Can you tell me their names? And then I'll tell them, Oh, I have two kids and I'll tell them the names and use that as a delayed recall or Mm -hmm. something different. That's functional to them because I know those people are the most important people to them. Mm. And they know them the best. You're right, Michelle, because the patients definitely don't care if you think that they have impairments. But yeah, but they care say, if their spouse does. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Or their Your kids wife do. is noticing exactly yeah. bringing that in. Oh, those are those are all great. I think. Yeah, the, the, no patient has ever responded with, "Well, I noticed you told me the same story three times." I'm like, "Yeah, okay," but it's like, <laughs> "Oh, your wife has told me." They're like, "Oh yeah, I got to go get that fixed." I like you know. <laughs> We want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speech. Whoa, I almost said that wrong. Speechsciencepodcast.com. I almost went to the old website. Uh, You can email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. On the other side of the break, Michelle, you got to sit down with Shelby and Corey Nation, the creators of Embark EMR, right? I did. And I am excited for you all to hear a little bit from them in this interview about 
what they've created, but it's an electronic medical record system. And I'm sorry, it was created by Shelby and her husband, Corey, and Shelby herself is an SLP. So they created it because they needed it for her private practice. And they have expanded that to provide this EMR system to other SLPs. That's pretty awesome. Also on the other side of the break, we'll be checking in with the informed SLP. And while that is happening, make sure you go to our website and sign up for the free book giveaway from Barbara Fernandez that is running until, I don't know, we'll probably shut that down either the last week of April or right around there. That sounds about right. Right. Y'all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hope you both get a chance to read that book too. I am going to order that soon, as soon as I remember how to do that. You're listening to Speech Science. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. Congrats, grads. Now what? This is a review of multiple articles. Check out the written review for references. Recent research describes the challenges of post-high school transition planning for autistic students, but it also offers some solutions. The challenges are no surprise. The process is overwhelming, and the services for adults are difficult to find. Communication between parents, students, and school staff can be tricky. The team isn't always on the same page about post-high school plans and expectations. And students from minoritized communities and families with fewer resources face a greater risk for unmet service needs. Thankfully, it's not all doom and gloom. The research suggests a bunch of ways we can help prepare students for adult life by focusing on functional skills, strengths, and self-advocacy. McConnell et al. describe 103 skills, behaviors, expectations, and experiences associated with positive post-secondary outcomes for autistic students. They include things like inclusion in the general education classroom, being able to tell time and complete three-step tasks, and asking for help when needed. The authors outlined a plan to develop assessments and interventions based on this research, so stay tuned for that. But for now, the list could serve as a guide for helping set goals for your soon-to-be grads. A word of caution, though. The list also includes things like quote-unquote appropriate behavior and social skills, which raises the ableism alarm. We need to be careful not to promote masking or suppress stimming, but rather to take a supportive, strengths-based approach. After all, a review we published last month describes how autistic adults are succeeding in the workplace, not in spite of, but because of their autistic traits. Another study from Doherty et al. offers a few more ideas. They suggest highlighting successful autistic adults as role models to help young people imagine their futures. They also recommend that SLP goals target social opportunities with faded adult support, self-advocacy, and perspective-taking. 
but remember to keep things authentic. Collaboration with parents during transition planning is also key. Lee et al. found that supporting parental advocacy can help autistic young adults get the services and support they need. And Taylor et al. created a two-part program that does exactly that. The first part outlines general information about a given topic, for example, Medicaid waivers. The second is presented by a local expert who can go into detail about the specific nuances of the state or local programs in that area. Helpfully, the paper includes the full list of topics covered by the program, which school teams can share with families or use as a guide for connecting them to the resources themselves. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice, or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. We'll get back into the show in just a moment, but this episode of Speech Science is brought to you by Therapy Essentials, which includes Presence Learning Therapy Platform. It's so much more than your average video conferencing tool. It includes everything you need to securely and effectively deliver speech language therapy and assessments remotely. Michelle, the hardest part of teletherapy for me was always having a robust selection of therapy materials because everything I have is either 2D or the toys. So it's wonderful that Therapy Essentials has a content library full of customizable games and activities that I can personalize for my therapy sessions to keep my clients engaged. Plus, you also, Matt, have the ability to upload your own therapy content and materials. So when you have those things you've already made, you can use those too plus a collaborative workspace with multiple camera views so you can see what your clients are doing and they can see what you are doing. And live in-person chat support that can keep you on track. Presence Learning Platform has everything you need to confidently build your teletherapy career. Michelle, if they want to learn more, where do they go? You can start your free trial today and learn more at presencelearning.com. Be sure to click on our platform at the top of the homepage. Hello and welcome back to the Speech Science Podcast. This is Michelle Wintering and I have the chance tonight to sit down with Shelby and Corey Nation and we connected. Corey reached out to us. Um, Shelby and Corey about a year ago, I believe, um, started embarked on their journey with Embark EMR and for anyone listening who might not be familiar with the EMR term, uh, do I, did I get it right? Electronic medical records? I feel like we, it's one of those things that we use in the medical and speech world and we just say it and we forget what it even means with acronyms. Um, but what I'm super excited about is for you all to hear from them firsthand what they've created and the why behind they've what they've created. And uh, hopefully, maybe, um, maybe it's a good match for you too. So I'll turn it over, Shelby and Corey, if you both can introduce yourself and Tell us what Embark is. I'm Shelby Nation. I am an SLP. I started out in the um, early intervention world and moved to have my own private practice. 
and we've been open for um actually we're coming up on five years next month congratulations yeah and i'm corey um i'm an engineer so shelby handles all the the private practice things and i try and do the technology and the business side of stuff all right and tell us um all right, so Embark EMR, we know it's an electronic medical record, but why why did you create this? I know you've been doing your own private practice for a while. So my business partner and I, we got started and we are not the most organized of people. We are really, really excellent speech pathologists, we think, um, but we, we didn't know a whole lot about running a business or... Um, honestly, even just the best way to keep all of our information organized. Excel spreadsheets weren't my thing. So Corey, um, you know, being the husband, jumped on board to help out a little bit with, hey, I think I can, I can make this easier for you. As he saw me scrambling with all of these papers that were, you know, everywhere. Not- <laughs> Corey chimes in. Yeah. No, HIPAA compliant everywhere, of course. There we go. There we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, we just it started off as a, a spreadsheet that helped us keep track of our clients and their information and the information that we needed to keep organized. Um, And then it just grew a little bit from there to being something that also tracked our sessions instead of writing them on a calendar on the back of our office door. Um, And as we grew a little bit more, it it grew more to being something where we had information that we, we put our daily notes into. And when we hired our first speech pathologist, we felt so official because we actually had a all of this down into this working tool that we were able to add information into and take care of our daily notes and you know feel really really confident that if if somebody went back and said I want to see your notes from February 1st that there was no doubt there they were there was and then it just continued to grow from there um, that was how the idea started. And then Corey just took it to a whole other level. <laughs> yeah. So if, let's say a couple of years ago, the, the Google Workspace solution. So for any of you do-it-yourselfers, you can build an EMR using Google Workspace. You can get a business associate agreement with Google and you can build the whole thing in Google Workspace. However, we had a really, really nice system that was cobbled together with a bunch of Google Forms and spreadsheets. And it, every now and then when you get like three or four providers, somebody moves something or deletes a formula <laughs> and nothing works anymore. I so, think we've all had that happen with yeah. just a shared Google file before. So. <laughs> yes. So, um, and then a lot of people started asking to get access to the system so we can kind of like copy and paste it into their, their Google Workspace account. And that was when we kind of realized maybe there's an opportunity for a a real purpose-built software for therapists to utilize that didn't cost a whole lot of money. Because that was the whole reason we went with Google Workspace. It's just, you couldn't, I mean, being a small business starting off new, 
um, rent is, is going to kill you enough and no, mm-hmm. let alone a, a, like an EMR software. So that's oftentimes that's the second largest cost that practitioners see is their EMR. Yeah, we started off our business with no, and we had the goal of we're not taking out loans. Mm-hmm. Um, we are just going to, we're just going to pay what we can. So my business partner and I, we split rent, we split, and it was down to like, should we spend $10 a month on a fax or Mm -hmm. can we get away without it? Which you can't. So, (laughs) um, we were at, to that, at that point there, it was not feasible at all. Even something that was, you know, $50 a month. We're like, we can't do that. We, that would straight come out of our pockets and we don't know how long it's going to take for the business to take off. So we, we had to go with something that was cheaper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, so and I got, love yeah. how, sorry, Corey, I love how kind of organically it sounds like it grew is just based on what your business needed and then go ahead. I think you were going to, if you can kind of guide us into when you shared that with other people or started to open the door to other people. Yeah. So we, we opened the door to other people last March. So that would be March, 2021. This is a, like a COVID project. Um, so we, we kind of interviewed a couple of dozen practices around Indianapolis where we're located. And I created a very large map of all of the decisions that everybody tried to make. So whether it's how you want to access your notes or what kind of notes do you take to uh, kind of measuring and tracking whether when a prior authorization is due. So we created this large map of all the decisions laid over what we'd already built within Google Workspace, and we built a, a real purpose-built application. So it's a web application. Uh, it has uh, Department of Defense level security on top of it with um, everything that kind of need, need, that a practice needs. And then in the beginning, it was very much an MVP, uh, what we call a minimum viable product. <laughs> so this MVP... It was ugly. Uh, you wouldn't. You probably wouldn't recognize Embark if you saw that early um, version compared to what we have today. But thanks to all of the people that use Embark, we've gathered over 250 ideas and executed over half of them. Um, just new features and and add-ons that just kind of keep coming into Embark, and everything has been added on without having to increase the price, which is. I mean, it's excellent because now you're still enabling and empowering all those new private practices and even your small time practitioners that may, you know, let's say you're a school SLP and you're seeing a couple of clients on the side. Well, this is still within reach for even those, the smallest practice. Uh, And I think I can speak to you personally. And I think some of our listeners, it, that does seem like such a, a wall to climb over when you want to start seeing patients on your own is how can you HIPAA compliant, do this right? And um, so, yeah, tell us what is the cost of, of Embark EMR and what are your favorite features? Yeah, so it costs $20 a month. And one of the common questions we get asked is how much does Embark actually cost? Because there's no way <laughs> that $20 is gonna cover all of my needs. Well. Yeah, like what are the add-ons? What else are you going to make me buy? It's like when you buy an app nowadays, right? Exactly. So, you know, most of the other EMRs we we got pretty frustrated with early on because it's like it's $69 a month. And then, oh, by the way, if you wanted to add clients, then it's extra $10. Um, So with Embark, it's $20 a month. 
we do collect the payment annually. So that means I can't charge you any extra fees even if we wanted to. Um, there are two available add-ons, just two. Uh, you get unlimited HIPAA compliant document storage for an extra $10, which will enable you to upload documents and transfer them to your patients via the patient portal. And then also you can get unlimited text and email appointment reminders, which every practice comes with 100 texts and 300 emails per month, which we found is more than enough for most practices. So we're really, we're not out there to get you. We're there to kind of help. Um, so what are some of the favorite features? Well, I don't know that this is exactly a feature, but one of my favorite parts of it overall is that um, this isn't something that was created just in a, in a lab of somebody trying to make money. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, it, is, it was something that was truly created to help my practice. And because of that, um, I think it's just really, really, I think I picked up this word from Corey, purpose-built. And for me, whenever I see it, it's, it's intuitive to a therapist because he's got me, he's, he's the brains of the operation, but he's got me in his ear saying like, that's worded really strange. You should change that because we don't use that wording. Or, <laughs> you know, I'm able to... Um, I think especially for SLPs, it because it was built specifically starting there with an SLP, mm -hmm. um, it, it makes sense. Yeah, and it having, I've worked with so many different EMRs moving around with different jobs. Um, we're a military family, so we've, you know, I've had to learn a whole new system. It's one of the things I dislike most about a new job. But so many times I've, I've heard myself say or talk to other coworkers, I wish this was put together by an SLP, or at least that they'd spoken to a, a PT or an OT or an SLP so that any of the therapy world would be able to, um, to utilize this more without making our own add-ons to it. So I love to hear that, but yeah, please go ahead. And then the other piece is just, um, like I said, the organization piece of it's, it takes you to that next level of, all right, my practice isn't huge. I don't need this, this thing with millions and millions of add-ons and all of this. I just, I really, really want to be able to organize my information and find it all in one place and not have to, not have it cost an arm and a leg. And I just like that it's all right there and that it forces me to stay organized and be HIPAA compliant and helps me helps um, with best practice. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like now that, that it up. is set up and you've sort of been the people to work through so many of the initial kinks, um, do you feel like it saves you time? Oh yeah. And you know, there have been so many people that have helped work out those kinks. Corey is constantly um, trying to save people time by you know, the second somebody messages him, oh, I can fix that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Corey, can you tell me about how you track We off air before the recording? Corey told me a little bit about um, tracking all the input from users of the system. Yeah. Can you share that with us? So I have a Google Sheet um, that has, I'll pull it up, that has to date 256 ideas submitted, and we've completed 118 of them. Now, we've actually only been tracking these ideas for a couple of months, 
and this is I mean, this is everything that I'm end up doing. So I'm giving right now between 10 to 12 demos per week. And one of the things that I enjoy doing, I, I love doing the demos personally because I get to see people's reactions and I get their feedback. Mm -hmm. So there's tons of new ideas that come out during these demos. And some of the things are captured on this, on this improvement log, but a lot of the things are just kind of, I call them Nikes, just do it. Uh -huh. um, like just do then, it now, add that. Yeah, just do it now, exactly. Because sometimes I can just do it right in front of them and then seeing their eyes light up when they see like, hey, that was my idea, it's kind of fun. That's that's great. And talk about real-time <laughs> real yeah. advertising too to tell someone, look what we've got. We're making these changes to make your practice run smoother. That's right. So we're always adding more and more features. Um, one of the pieces of feedback that we get a lot to, to answer one of your previous questions um, in terms of like favorite aspects is this the simplicity and intuitiveness. Uh, like Shelby said, it, is, it was designed by an SLP, but her, my Shelby's mom is also an SLP and her aunt teaches speech <laughs> at a university. So I'm surrounded by speeches and I can't <laughs> really get away from it. Um, so one of the ultimate tests was getting my mother-in-law to use the platform who may not be the most tech native person, um, but she got it uh, eventually. Um, so that was one of the things where I, I just told her, go to embarkemr.com and figure it out. And I just sat there with a notepad and literally took notes and monitored all of the places that she struggled. And if she struggled with it, I got rid of it. <laughs> Okay. But you made it more user-friendly. So you're talking about not just um, more technologically savvy SLPs can get the hang of it quicker. That's right. Yep. And there's a lot of things that are also kind of automatically pulled up. So uh, for instance, if when you select a patient to schedule an appointment, the location and discipline automatically shows up. One thing that we found that a lot of practices get audited on is by is not including their credentials at the end of their notes. Well, hmm. that automatically shows up at, from your profile. So you never have to worry about some of these things getting um, you hit again. That's awesome. Now tell me about the name. Why did you name it Embark? Embark. Um, I think that was actually Shelby's idea. So it was all about, it's like you're embarking on, a, on an adventure. So if you go to the website, you're going to see like a paper airplane, which Shelby also designed. Um, I like it. Yep. I'm glad you remembered that. I, of course I remember that. <laughs> so it, it's going to be, it's like you're going on an adventure. Pra private practice is an adventure. So a lot of the themes are going to be kind of mountains or going on like long walks or runs or that's what it is. So you're embarking on an adventure. Well, and the other piece that I, I really liked about Embark is that I really wanted for it to you know, for us to be able to kind of focus on a niche, not that it couldn't be for bigger, for bigger practices too. And as it grows, it will continue to, um, I think, you know, expand to, to even more people, but I wanted it to represent embark. It's for people who are just embarking on their journey in the beginning of their journey, because you don't need $200 worth of bells and whistles. You need something that's affordable that makes it so you can get your practice off the ground. So that was the other appealing thing about Embark is just making people think like we're embarking on our journey and this is 
something that's going to help us do it. That's right. And we really designed it for that small practice. Um, we have a lot of, there's a lot of group practices on the platform, which really, I mean, if you, if you think of it just from an economics and a cost standpoint, you just scale your benefit that much more. But the, the platform was really designed for like a, a solo practitioner or somebody with four to five um, providers in the practice. And it just makes things really simple. And I loved that you, you pointed out to me too. So Corey did a demo for me of Embark before we hopped on to record. And um, he also pointed out that there is no additional fee because you don't have those extra app add-ons <laughs> that we talk about in app purchases, right? Um, but no additional fees if you add another therapist to your practice. That's so if right. you do grow or if you add five therapists to your practice. Yeah, so there's unlimited clients. So if you have a one-person practice, you can add as many clients as you want. There's no extra fees. If you started a group practice, there's no group practice surcharges, which honestly, I think those are silly. I don't understand why those exist. Which uh, you do pay per provider. You still pay per but provider, not, but it's not like you pay you know, $50 for your first provider and then $40 for your next. But oh, by the way, in this fine print, there's a $250 group practice surcharge. None of that exists. If you have three providers in your practice, it's $60. Mm -hmm. So it's just $20 per therapist. That's right. So, mm -hmm. And um, one thing I know I liked when you showed me the demo were some of the billing options. Uh, and some of them I know that you're working on and adding to, but the super bill option is in there. Um, and the, the options for notes, whether it's just a note or a soap note or the eval templates. Can you share some of that? Yeah, so the notes are semi-customizable. So every document, every template within the system, it's automatically branded to your practice. It has your logo and information right at the top of it. And then the note that every time you, you schedule an appointment, a note template's automatically generated. So you're never gonna forget to do a note. Um, and within the note, you kind of have a choose your own adventure style of template where you can either do a general note, which is just a text box. You get 64,000 characters, which is like 18 pages of data um, for those really ambitious practitioners. Very verbose SLPs. Yes. Um, and then you can add a SOAP note. So subjective, objective, assessment, and plan. The assessment work a little bit differently where you can actually add up to 10 goals that the, you're working on with the client. And those are going to be populated from the client's individual goal bank. And you can track the completion percentage, add your progress notes into that, and you're done. Now, one of the neat features within the note is you can add the services. And when you add a service to a note, it you can add as many services as you want. So let's say you're doing a speech session and then within that same appointment, you're doing swallowing as well. So you add those two services to the note and they automatically populate in your invoices and with the cost and add time and units and everything that you need in there. So at the end of the week or the month or your billing cycle, you can click one button and generate an invoice. Uh, same thing, click two buttons and you can generate a super bill. Uh, so we made all of this automated and super easy to do. However, what's even better than having something easy to do is not having to do it at all. So the patients can actually do all of these same things from the patient portal. So next time somebody asks you for a, a super bill, say, go get it yourself. Yeah, you just click these buttons in the portal. 
I like that. Now, um, do you find that currently the users of your EMR tend to be small practice owners? You mentioned there are some larger ones. Are they generally private pay? Do some bill insurance? Yeah. So the majority, the vast majority of, of users today are private pay clinicians. There are a few practices that do bill insurance, but they do they use a biller. So using a biller is super easy. It, it kind of takes away a lot of the liability and work off your and hassle off of you if you are going to bill insurance. Uh, one thing, and I didn't mention this to you earlier, is we created another website, which is completely free for anybody to access. And it's called mytherapybiller.com. What it is, it's, a, it's the first peer-reviewed directory of medical billers, specifically for therapists. So nice. check it out. If, you're, if you need to find a biller, it's completely free, free for you and free for the billers to get added to it. <laughs> so mytherapybiller.com? That's right. Yep. Okay. We'll have to put that in the show notes too. <laughs> So, um, so yes, use, using a biller now. And one of the some of the limitations of Embark today is you can't collect payments and you can't bill insurance. However, we are building Embark Pay, which is going to be a low transaction fee um, payment processor, and we hope to have that finished oh, by what comes after March, April. Yep. Yeah, by April is our goal, and we're finalizing some partnership agreements with another company to enable insurance billing. So insurance and private pay are coming to embark within maybe just two months. Oh, wow. So shortly after you might listen to this episode, if it goes up in the next month, there could be embark pay accessible right. for you. Um, so where is there anything else that's coming soon for embark that our audience should know about? What, oh. what are your big dreams, like blue sky dreams here for you? Oh, well, I have 108 outstanding, 138 outstanding ideas that I can go through. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I guess so, I'm just, if, if I talk to you, say three years from now, what do you hope that Embark could be? Oh, I want hundreds or thousands of practitioners on the platform because what I see if that happens is there are that many practitioners that are able to operate their business in a HIPAA compliant way, securely uh, help their patients. But research has proven many times that utilization of an EMR improves patient outcomes and gives a better work-life balance for the provider. So that's ultimately what we're here for is to be able to, to help that. So three years down the road, if we've got hundreds or thousands of users on the platform, that means that our benefit and the, the, the value of Embark is just scaled that much further. And I just, I want to find those people that don't think they can do it. The people that just want to see a handful of clients after school or who think like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing to run a business. This is too much. I want to, I want to reach those people. And, um, for this to be that little bit of push for them of, hey, this isn't, this can be what helps me client, get over this hurdle mm -hmm. of the fear of, oh my gosh, how do I find this and this and this, but to find it here on this platform. Um, I and, and you're making it financially within reach more so than, than some of the other platforms really are. Yeah, there was, it was kind of funny. A few months ago, one of the very popular EMR platforms almost doubled their rates. 
it, it went up by like 45%. And right around that same time, I thought, you know what? I think I want to give people more emails. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to add something else. <laughs> so we added more features and kept the price at $20 while everybody else is doubling their rates. I'm like, thanks for the customers, guys. Yeah. Now, I mean, tell me if this is too blunt of a question, but how are you able to keep that price point what it is with yeah. all the things you're adding? That's that's a really good question. Um, so my I'm an engineer. My background is designing centrifugal compressors and large machinery for large engineering organizations like GE and Rolls-Royce. And my background is actually in cost reduction. So I've gotten really adept at going into a business and an organization and redesigning the business and redesigning products to be as cost efficient as possible. So when we approached Embark, I designed it from the ground up with Shelby and the help of a lot of other practitioners to be as low cost as possible. So we're, I mean, from things that we don't have to license, um, uh, certain documents or templates from other people to just being really frugal with how we spend our money. We're not hiring any sales teams. We don't have any large um, marketing budgets or anything like that. It's gonna be a, a truly a grassroots effort to keep that cost as low as possible. Now, when we did the initial cost analysis on, on if we could do this for $20 a month, uh, we, we did think it was very feasible. However, when we looked at some of the, some other systems, either they have no control over their costs or they're really taking advantage of this industry. I'm not, it might be a little bit of a mix of both. I'm not quite sure. I don't, I want to, you know, uh, assume positive intent, <laughs> but yes, we designed it from the ground up to be as low cost as possible. And if our listeners want to find out more, can you tell us your website and how they could book a demo with you, Corey? Yeah. So you can go to embarkemr.com. That's E-M-B-A-R-K-E-M-R.com. And there is a bunch of buttons on the top of it. One of them is schedule a demo. So you can schedule a demo. You can connect directly with, with me and book a time, 30 minutes. More, be delighted to show you the platform. If you don't have that time or you don't really want to talk to me, you, you don't <laughs> have to because there is a pre-recorded video linked right in that same button. Um, also on the website, there is an interactive kind of widget where you can kind of go ahead and play around with it and see if the, the look, fit, form, and function might match the way that your brain works. Well, thank you both. And Shelby and Corey, I so appreciate you taking the time. I know um, it took a little scheduling for us both having small children, right, to make sure we could hop on together. So thank you both for being here and, and sharing what you're doing. I think, um, I know I enjoy and I think I hope our listeners do too, hearing from uh, startup businesses, and especially from SLPs who are branching out and doing something to help our profession, but also, you know, grow the services we can provide. So thank you for that. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for scooching the time around. I, when I told Corey, when he told me the time, I'm like, 
30 minutes before bedtime for the baby and dinner. Like there's going to be so much noise in the background of that call. Are you sure? I, I, I feel that too. I feel that too. Um, but thank you both again. And I look forward to seeing where Embark takes you all um, and how much it grows in the next few years. So thank you to our listeners too. And again, if you want to get in touch with Shelby and Corey, please check out EmbarkEMR.com. And then he also shared with us the MyTherapyBiller.com. So both of those websites are worth taking a look at. And this is Speech Science Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, the Speech Science Pod. And then also our new website, be sure to check it out, speechsciencepodcast.com. Welcome back to Speech Science, uh, episode number 161. I almost forgot what I was doing there and answered the microphone like I do my office phone. So that would have been interesting. Matt Hot, I'm Matt, speech pathologist. I'm Matt Hot, speech therapist over here at the at the middle school, uh, joined by Michelle. Hello, Michelle. <laughs> Michelle Wintering, speech therapist down in Texas. <laughs> and uh, if I'm calling an SLP in Wisconsin, who am I going to get? This is Marie. Is that uh, I like how we all have our like professional phone answering voices. I love that. So, okay, I want you guys to think about for a second, what is the most sweet gift that you have received from a patient or a family? And by sweet, I mean, not like sweet, this is so awesome, but like heartfelt. Like I've had a patient give me a, their, or a student's family give me a backpack because they know that I do hiking stuff with my boys. So it's like a little Eddie Bauer fold-up backpack. But nice. the sweet thing that happened just the other day was I was working with a patient and we made a diet modification and they were like, I'm going to give you a kiss. And I was like, whoa, I'm married. I don't need any kisses. And they were like, I am going to give you a kiss. And I was like, how do I back out of the door a hundred percent appropriately without getting a smooch on the side of my cheek? And then they handed me a Hershey kiss and then they giggled like a little kid and I loved it. And that was the best Hershey kiss I had in ever. So for you all, Michelle and Marie, what is maybe the sweetest or heartwarmingest gift a patient has given you? Do you want that to go, you can Marie? claim without taxes uh, coming back at you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do get little treats here and there, like sweet treats or other things like that. Those things are nice, but I... The, the things that matter the most to me are the little cards or notes that I've gotten. Mm-hmm, yeah. I Not in one in particular, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. anytime I get something that's handwritten that just says thank you, it's to me that means the most. I, I love sweet treats and we get them from time to time, but that's what I care about. I love that. The handwritten notes, especially working pediatrics from the kids. Um, and oh. when I was pregnant with my son and working in pediatrics and they just find that so interesting. Um, Some of the notes and cards that I got before his birth were some of my absolute favorites. Uh, One gift that I got from a patient, a little boy that I was working with who really had single words and a lot of gesture and other forms of communication. And by the time I finished up with him, he was using short sentences and stringing words together more. And I I get a little teary with this because they brought in a little box and it was right before COVID lockdown, just so you know. So, and it was one of those good timing things where they weren't even done yet. They had another session or two. We ended up having to cancel those. 
but they brought in the gift early because he really wanted to give it to me. And so otherwise I never would have gotten it. And it was one of those little hearts that you can record a message on. And they, he recorded his voice saying, thank you, Miss Michelle. And and he added, I guess his mom told me later, they got him to say, thank you, Miss Michelle. And he said, I love you, Miss Michelle. (laughs) And so so I'll I'll replay it. I keep it at my desk and I'll replay it sometimes because it reminds me why we do this and why I love Mm. working with kids because having a voice is so important. Mm. Okay. So from the resident hoarder, and digital hoarder, Michelle, I am telling you what you need to do. You've got a nice microphone. You need to play that and record it digitally because these goofy tech, you're, you're I need to save it. Yes. Yes. You need to save it because these goofy tech things will go and like, yes, you need to, you know, take how it's probably what 30 seconds. Oh yeah, ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. You need to record. You need to say. I'm not saying on this show. I mean, that's something that I think you need to keep. But like, mm-hmm. record that so that mm-hmm. you have that. That is mm-hmm. such a sweet gift. His voice it was pretty. That great. way, when you hit your ninety and we're giving you a test, we'll give that to you and see if you remember it, and then we'll know if your stroke has impacted your brain or not. <laughs> Fair and point. I'm going to cut that out because that is such a terrible comment. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Let's just <laughs> let's just leave it at the sweet comment, man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yes, you need to record that, and I am imploring you to do so because I have lost too many things on voicemails that I thought I would be able to keep forever. So. Yeah. We want to hear from you. Maybe you have a sweet gift that a patient or a family has given you, or not so sweet. Sometimes those are fun to talk about. I've gotten McDonald's ones after I told a patient that I was trying to lose weight. So that was interesting. <laughs> SpeechSciencePodcast.com, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com. The return of SS Pod News. Quick headlines coming out of MIT. Uh, they have a new medication that may be reversing hearing loss with regenerative therapy. It is a, uh, a medication. Right now it's in the first... I'm sorry, they're trying to do the second phase study right now. Uh, They believe that they can regrow inner hair cells for the cochlear or cochlea. If this turns out to be true, I'm going to have to switch up my fear-mongering attempts to get my husband to wear earplugs because I always tell him once those hair cells are gone, they're gone forever. So they're right now collecting participants for phase two. And they have a collection site in Cincinnati. And I have acquired hearing loss on the right side from my days in radio. I have to go get an audiogram and I'm applying to go become part of this test study. No, that's so cool. That's fantastic, Matt. I don't know if they'll take me, but you know, it's in Cincinnati. Why shouldn't I? And they're seeing improvements in speech perception. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is huge. Yeah, this is really cool. I think about something that my daughter's ENT, Dr. Chu at Cincinnati Children's has said. He said that in my daughter's life, and for anyone listening, my daughter is profoundly deaf in her right ear and moderately deaf, uh, sloping up to mildly deaf in her left ear. And they said that in her lifetime, they'll be able, she will see children born with the same hearing loss that she has that may be able to get it fixed without an implant or hearing aids. They said that wouldn't be for her and she's got a malformation, but this kind of stuff is, this is the, the 22nd century, the 21st century. This stuff amazes me. 
Mm. Well, we even just the this. term regenerative medicine just seems almost yes. science fiction. It does. It seems like well, it's out of a movie. Mm-hmm. And we're in what? Rehabilitative medicine? Mm-hmm. We're going to be out of jobs. And I have always said this. I will be out of a job ASAP if that means that there is some magic pill that can help our patients get back to where they need to be. And I can guarantee you there is not an audiologist out there that would be sad to see their patients disappear because they got their hearing back because of an inner hair uh, regrow. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, I'm assuming their audiologists would be happy to see that. Right. I'm sure they would be. (laughs) Oh, our second article. This is coming out of the Texas education agency or uh, did I say that right? Texas education agency. Yeah. Providing $1,500 for families of special education students impacted by the pandemic. So I just learned this today. I've missed this in the news, I think, in the fall. But it looks like this is an option that you can apply for if you are a special education family in Texas. So TEA, the Texas Education Agency, um, who oversees and supports education in Texas, is providing online accounts of $1,500 to parents of eligible students served by special education who have been impacted by COVID-19 school closures. And the idea being, one of the quotes in this little short article even said if, for example, they've really missed a lot of speech therapy, they can use that funds to pay for private speech therapy to get some extra support. It's that's awesome. so important. That's that's a device right there. Yeah, and I'm not True. sure exactly where that funding is coming from, but um, I'd have to check the sources on that. But I wasn't sure if any listeners know, is this happening in any other states? I'd be curious if there's any other funding going specifically for special education families to help support or bridge the gap in services, missed services. We haven't received anything in the mail for our daughter but she's also in the one and a half year old realm. So it's not the IEP part, but we do get some funding from the state to purchase things that allow us to carry or generalize therapy at home. And I'll tell you that as a family to be able to say, Oh, let's buy the hundred dollar therapy mat so that she can practice doing her, you know, at the time it was like standing and not cracking her head open on the floor. Like that is night and day different or buying, uh, Weber cards for sign language. I mean, those are the little things that, you know, we as therapists, I think, forget that our patients like struggle with that even a couple dollars and we don't get anywhere near the $1,500. That's an awesome amount for some of these families. Too bad it's only because of the pandemic and not something that can support them. But maybe Mm -hmm. this is something going forward. This could be a yearly thing that Mm -hmm. helps families purchase those stuff the you know you said a device marie mm-hmm. it doesn't even have to be a really uh, a, a dedicated device that's an ipad and an app exactly seems like mm-hmm. it levels the playing field a little bit when there's probably a lot of disparities against mm-hmm. amongst what families can afford and that's not sure. i mean that's just too bad it's that the the child's detriment so this is just great that there's funding for this and then the last story, the last story, the last article up on the docket is the 1% Medicare payment cut will go into effect three days ago, four days ago. So 
you were you hinted on this a little bit before the break, Marie, that you were talking about, you know, that one percent hitting all of us, but speech therapists getting reimbursed already at a lower rate than PTOT. This is the kind of stuff that I, I were you both on the show a couple of weeks ago when we talked about pay. Mm-hmm. And I said, that I feel like we are attacking mm-hmm. the wrong yep. thing on pay. I mean, yes, our bosses should pay us more. But when the funding source is drying up, this stuff blows my mind, y'all. Mm. Yes. And Medicare reimbursement just keeps going down. So this is that 1% cut across all claims starting April 1st. But it's part of a phase-in of cuts that's going to continue into 2022. So uh, now the initial cuts were... 10% and then they brought they got that brought down to 2.75%, but you're going to see another 1% cut on July 1st. So it's just concerning because it's low enough where I just wonder how are outpatient clinics going to be able to provide good services and pay their therapists well and treat them well if this just continues. I mean, I think we're already at a threshold where it's it's sort of difficult to manage in in an outpatient setting. Mm-hmm. And Medicare and Medicaid are already reimbursed lower than the vast majority of insurance plans mm. to the provider. Yes. Now, for those of you that are like me that don't deal with Medicare billing codes and are unfamiliar with what a 1% cut means, uh, just for an example, um, the evaluation of sound production. Uh, so... Last year was reimbursed at 114.45 is now reimbursed at 113.85. So not a huge deficit, but that 1% over year after year after year. But there are some areas where it goes up, but it's still a net loss of that 1%, right, Marie? It is. And it's difficult to sort of keep tabs on because you'd say, you know, and, and I think part of it is sort of to make it not as painful by this 2.75% cut being split. But, you know, you have then as a as a somebody as a business owner, for example, you have to keep track of that. And when you're budgeting and trying to make, you know, time, I mean, really, what's what ends up happening is you have to see, you're gonna have to choose, are you gonna see patients for less time? Because that seeing someone for an hour at that reimbursement rate just isn't financially feasible. And I think that what happens is the patients end up suffering, they get less therapy time or the therapists and or the therapists end up having to see so many people in a day, Matt, like you're eight, mm-hmm. 10 people in a day, um, or maybe getting re- maybe you have to do more because you get reimbursed less, you're the speech therapist, now you got to see five more visits in a week. Mm-hmm. Kind of sucks. And I still remember I was at ASHA Denver all those years ago. And I I was sitting in a conversation with the PAC leader for ASHA, and they said that if every ASHA member donated $10 to the ASHA PAC, we would be one of the most influential PACs in America, and we could get changes made at the national level because we would have more money to help persuade members of Congress to, to... keep things from this like this from happening hmm but you know matt i wonder couldn't there be just an additional ten dollars from our dues allotted toward that not not toward something else so the problem is is that it's all in the way that it is legally allowed to do so none of our dues go towards the pack the political action committee 
So none of our dues are allowed to be used to pay for a lobbyist. So legally, we have to donate to the PAC, and the PAC is the one that hot that. Um, it's a separate pot, and it has to yeah. be legally. Yeah, and that's that why if you, I'm sorry. At the state level, I believe our dues go toward um, paying our lobbyist. So I just I'm curious about the differences. I'll have to do a little research on my own. Yeah, because I think in Ohio it's the same idea. Like we can, our dues do not go. At least in Ohio, I don't think our dues go to the 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 lobbyists, but the GAC funds do. Well, they that's all have motivating. Money. Yeah, yeah right. I. I would, I would maybe, I would definitely throw $10 extra on, you know, it's $10, you know, when you're spending a lot already, but you can also contact your members of Congress. There are mm-hmm. things you can do. I contact them regularly. It's a very quick form that you just put your name in. It's very quick on Ash's website. You know, they, we need to make sure that they hear us and they know that we're watching that number go down each year. And just as a friendly reminder, when we're talking about PAC dollars, PAC dollars go to people on both sides of the aisle because unfortunately or fortunately, there are only two major parties and we need people from both parties to vote to agree on things. Like in Rhode Island, where they allowed therapy to happen for kids over the age of 10. <laughs> that is going to be the thing that sticks in my mind for the from this rest episode, of life. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Oh, just- that wraps up. Oh, sorry, Murray. Go for it. I was just peeking around. I was I was looking on the website and I saw that um, these I'm seeing now 3.75 percent decrease, Ooh. and that is in addition to two to five percent cuts that were made last year. So again, this is sort of startling numbers here that are happening every year. What's 2023 going to so be it's like? like? I don't know. It's like you said, they're just breaking it up into pieces so that yeah. hopefully people don't get as upset. But it you add it together it's a lot yeah it's only the most needy helpful people in the country being affected by these rates that's fine right it's not like we uh, anywho i was gonna try to make light of it and it's just too damn depressing jesus <laughs> sorry <laughs> no it's fine we want to hear from you head over to our website speech science podcast <laughs> dot com speed science podcast at gmail.com no like this kind of stuff really does upset me like yeah. we read something about in <laughs> texas where that, they're yeah. like hey here's fifteen hundred dollars for your families that have been affected and we're like yeah and then the government is like and also we have cut everyone's pay by one to three percent good luck and you know insurance agencies will follow it too with their own cuts yeah and again, like with inflation, inflation is wild right now. Like it's just, we're at a breaking point. I don't know how people are going to be able to manage their budgets with with what's going on right now in the world. This is an aside. Uh, yeah. We'll let the, the, the silence there grow for a little bit. Let's look at the positives. What are you guys looking forward to in the next week as our out music plays? Well, I will be off air next week because That's right. I'm going on a family vacation for the first time in a very long time. So my whole side of the family will be together, my brothers and their spouses, my spouse, our kids, the grandparents, all together in a beach house hanging out in Florida. Aw. Marie, what about you? 
Well, I guess I'm looking forward to a remodeled bathroom and some good company. Ooh, nice. That's right. Seven day remodel. That's right. <laughs> Record time. Uh, what am I looking forward to? Saturday, I may take my son, depending on the weather and his wanting to. Uh, the Cub Scout camp is offering a shooting sports day where he gets to use a BB gun, a tomahawk, um, and a bow and arrow. So that'd be kind of fun. And I have also been, I'm excited because I will be finishing up my second book on tape in the last, oh, how many days? Two weeks? Two weeks. It'll be my second book on tape I'm finishing. Which one? Uh, so the first one I finished was the Colin Jost one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this one I'm doing is Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. It's a memoir. And I have never, would have never guessed that I've pulled more inspirational quotes out of the Matthew McConaughey book than anything else I've ever like listened to or read that was not purposely an inspirational text. Let me read you some of these quotes that I picked up. We have to prepare to do the job to then have the freedom to make the decisions to do the job. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, do it's not focus so... on the outcome. Focus on the activity. Okay, that's a good one. It's Matthew McConaughey, y'all. Like, <laughs> like you have to I say never... it in his voice, Matt. All right, all right. All right I can't right, do a right. Texas draw. <laughs> However, there is a lot more stories, and I'm going to bleep this next word out than I expected. But there's a lot more stories of him being naked and having wet dreams than I ever expected to be in a book about Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> That's fascinating. You're muted, Michelle. <laughs> oh, man. You said you're going to take that part out, or is it Oh, I'm just going to bleep that word. Just that (laughs) word. Everyone at home listening right now has no idea what I just said. But, oh boy, it is, like, you'll be sitting there listening to it, driving into school, and, like, the window down, and he drops that. And you're like, what in the world am I listening to right now? What creepy story is this? Oh, our (laughs) bump music, our intro music was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. License under an attribution and share alike license. The bump music was County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Find his music over at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music. The informed SLP and the closing music. Uh, one was At the Count by Broke for Free. The other is The Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod, both licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. And we are always willing to, you know, display your music. If you think you got something that you like better than what we play, We'll layer it. We might use it for the immortal words. I'm sorry. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. Uh, The mighty oak looks strong, but the willow will bend while the oak cracks and the willow will return to form. For fellow willows, Michelle and Marie and the missing ones, Mike and Rachel. I'm Matt. Until next time. So long, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. The Speech Science Podcast was brought to you by Presence Learning. Rachel, 
Do you know anyone that is ready to future-proof their career and get their teletherapy practice up and running today? I think I know a ton of people that would be interested in that. You can with Therapy Essentials by Presence Learning. For more information and to start your free trial, visit PresenceLearning.com and click on our platform at the top of the homepage. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.